This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It's Fit Nation. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. If you are feeling overwhelmed or, or floating towards the darkness, do not hesitate to phone a friend. If you are embarrassed that you are having a difficult time, call the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. That's 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Again, as we have told you many times over the last year, do not make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. So if you're new, thanks for joining. And be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Underscore Misfit Nation, so you stay up to date on all episodes as they're released, while also having the opportunity of getting to hear the stories of our amazing guests. Speaking of which, By the time she was 10 years old, our next guest knew she wanted to be a writer. She entertained neighborhood kids with her stories after school and with the support of her mother got her first typewriter. Life had other plans, though, and after the death of her mother, when she was just 11 years old, she put those dreams on hold. Over the decades, she has picked up the proverbial pen time and again, writing about her life experiences, including the cancer diagnosis and subsequent passing of her four-year-old daughter. Focusing on fiction currently, she is driven to bring life characters, bring to life characters from many walks of life and the struggles faced in modern society. Her writing style is open and fluid, giving the characters the ability to shine as the truth of their, of their own story. Her works are honest and sometimes brutally painful, but in the end, her characters are given the voice which needs to be heard. So without further ado, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation author, Juliet Rose. Welcome, Juliet. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we're able to connect. I'm glad this this virtual world makes it a lot easier for us to connect across across many planes. I mean, you know, we're just basically an inch away on the map right now, but <laughs> right. but it's great to actually have you on here and uh, get to hear your story and learn more about why you got into writing and some of your some of your work that you've done so far. So, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself from as far back as you want to go to where we are now. Sure. So, like you said, I, I knew, always knew I wanted to be a writer. I think before I could actually write, I was telling stories. Um, sorry about my dogs. They get very excited about everything. I was telling stories to kids on the walk home from the bus stop. And so once I realized kind of being a writer was a thing, I asked my mother to buy me a typewriter. And this was way back in the day. So she went to the newspaper and found a, an old black typewriter. And, and uh, we, uh, we went to this lady's house and bought it. And from there, I just started kind of pecking out little stories. You know, and as, as time went on, they evolved. You know, my mother did pass from leukemia when I was 11. My brother and I were shuttled to different homes and kind of different situations. So I did write in that time, but I really couldn't focus because I never really had like that stability to really sit down and, and do stuff. So 
you know, even in high school, I had a manuscript in my, in my backpack that I'd carry around, stuff I was always working on. Um, but it wasn't until my 20s, um, and I married, and then I had uh, two daughters, and my second daughter was diagnosed with cancer, that I realized that my voice was really important, and that it wasn't just typing out little stories, but that I could actually reach out to other people. And um, actually, one of my pieces that I wrote was read in Washington and has been handed around still to this day. It's handed around in hospitals and it's called The Strength of an Egg. And it's about being a parent of a child with cancer, but it really pertains to anybody that's dealing in a caregiver sense. Um, and so that, that piece was something that I wrote. And, and through that, I really realized that not only was my voice important, but I had a good way of expressing it. So for a long time, I wrote nonfiction. Um, so I wrote nonfiction articles and, and things in magazines. Um, but over time, what I realized is that people tend to come to nonfiction with the intent that they already are open to it. And I really wanted to open people's perspectives outside of like somebody saying, yes, I'm interested in this nonfiction article, I'll read it. I wanted to reach the person that maybe would never pick up that article. So I wanted to put that into fiction and into stories and have characters give those perspectives in a way that more people would be interested in reading it. Awesome. And I think that's a, a novel approach is a lot of people don't believe they can write nonfiction. It has to be a fictional tale. But when you write the nonfiction tale, it usually grasps the reader a lot better because they say, oh, that sounds just like my life. It sounds just like something I went through when it's not just theatrical or Hollywood type of fiction writing. It's actual an actual story. For, for sure. And I think the, the side of it is that, you know, a lot of people will pick up a fiction book you know, even if they're not, you know, they'll read the back and go, oh, sounds interesting. Right. And so it gives the, the writer an opportunity to bring up things that those readers may never seek out on their own. And so that's what my goal is, is to bring up situations, issues that maybe somebody wouldn't necessarily seek out on their own, or may have a skewed perspective of, you know, they might think a certain way about something. And then by reading this character going through it, or somebody in the story that they know going through it, and they might come out of it saying, okay, I didn't think about it that way, you know, with a more empathetic view of that situation. Definitely. You know, we, in the opening, I said, you started, you wanted to be a writer since you were 10. Was your inspiration, your mom, or was it a, a teacher at school? I mean, 10 years old, that's what fifth grade, I guess. Uh, was there a teacher that maybe motivated you or was it mom? You know, I think it was actually books that motivated me. You know, I had a a very tumultuous childhood. Um, there was really no stability at any point. So I like, you know, went through divorces and kind of we were always moving and just in a situation where things weren't really stable. And so I, I was really drawn to books because books gave me that kind of stability. Like I could go into another world and feel like I belonged somewhere. And so I think when I realized that not only did I enjoy reading it, but that I had the ability to tell stories as well, that was really what drove me. Um, my mother wrote a little bit as well. She, you know, she passed young, so I didn't know this until I was an adult, but she was a nurse. And so years later, I was sent a little packet of articles she had written, you know, for nursing magazines and things like that. Um, and I didn't know that as a child, that she had an interest in writing, but it was really neat as an adult to go back and say, okay, I can kind of see this connection there. Right. Because now, now you had that thing that you knew that link was there. Mom wrote, you wrote. And she bought you a typewriter, which uh, that kind of dates both of us because we both had yeah. a, a typewriter. Uh, and it was an old typewriter. I'll date <laughs> myself even more. It was not anything like a word processor. It was an old typewriter. <laughs> the ding, 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 ding. Yes, <laughs> exactly. 
throwing paper out all the time because you made an error <laughs> instead of going back to a little whiteout ri exactly. ribbon at the head. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your motivation now to write? Uh, you, I know you've had a lot of things go on in your life from mom and also your daughter passing. That's uh, two motivational stories right there. But is there any other motivation that you have that makes you want to write and get stories out? Yeah, you know, I think I had... Uh, the experience of um, my ex-husband was in the military and we traveled all around the country. And through that, I got to live in a lot of places and meet a lot of people and see different situations. And I think one of the things that brought me back to writing, because I did have a hiatus, I, I was raising kids for about 10 years and I didn't really pick up the pen. But after that, like I wanted to bring back a lot of those things that I saw, like these little observations or experiences that I had over the years in different places and with different people. And I wanted to bring those into stories because I realized a lot of people don't necessarily leave the town that they grew up in or the area that they grew up in. And, and I did, I've lived everywhere and <laughs> met so many people, seen so many different cultures, eaten so many different foods. And I realized I have these experiences that I could weave into to stories and let people get to experience those. And it's definitely different being military, traveling across the country, like you said, being stationed probably West Coast, all the way to East Coast along the way, no matter where you go, there's always a different way of living. And yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. Once I left, I went to Georgia with my first duty station. It was night and day. Uh, people were friendly. Uh, they said, thank you. They said, hey, how are you? And actually meant it. So I was always on, on my guard down in Georgia, not knowing that these people were actually being friendly. And then, of course, the culture was different. And then moving out into the Midwest, it was a little different. And then back into the South for the rest of my career, it was a always different lifestyles, different, even little, every little town has its own nuance. I'm sure that helps you with your creativity when you're writing now. It does. You know, every place has a story. And I, I used to like this program. I can never remember what it was on, but it was a guy would take a, a dart and he'd throw it at a map. And then he would go to the town that it landed on. And he would open up the phone book and stick his finger in and, and pick, you know, like a person. And then he would call them and say, can I, can talk to you? Can I interview you? And what I liked about that show is every single person had a story to tell. Like nobody was just like, yep, I just, you know, did this, got married, had kids. Everybody had some neat thing that, that they went through, whether it was they met somebody famous or they created something. And, and that's really, as a writer, what excites me is like, there's no end to good stories. There's so many stories out there and you just have to open your eyes and be willing to listen and see. And I think that's a major thing you just said there. Listen, a lot of people ask questions, but they don't really listen to the answer. They just sit there and wait for their next question to go, not really <laughs> receiving what you're saying. And if you listen to what people are saying, you can actually get a really good story. And now you're able to take those stories and put the pen to paper or keyboard to digital processor now on the computer and get some, uh, get some stories out. What stories are you working on now? So I have two novels currently out. Um, one deals with, Do Over deals with ketamine abuse and, and mental illness. And then We Don't Matter deals with um, police brutality and, and some church abuse, kind of younger people having to really face the world through them. The novel I have coming out in March is Prick of the Needle, and it deals with um, a, a heroin addict. She was a, in prison, and she got involved with the wildland firefighting program through prison and then got out and basically continued working with them. So, but she still carries a lot of these burdens and scars. And, you know, so that story is kind of like her story of, of trying to find her place in the world and really decide, you know, who she was before 
you know, she became addicted to heroin and how she can stay away from that. So that one's out now. And then I have one in May coming out with Adelaide and that one deals with search and rescue. So I do a lot across the board. And what I do is I want to have a story that's interesting and gripping. I don't want a story that's just like, I'm going through this problem. I want to have a backstory. I want to have, you know, something going on around the characters. And then those issues are brought up, but in a natural way, because that's real life. You know, in real life, we are dealing with the world around us, even if we have an issue we're dealing with personally. Exactly. And that's four different types of stories just right there. And and you keep pumping them out. That's that's outstanding. (laughs) Uh, And all the, everything you're talking about, from ketamine to police brutality to heroin, especially. Uh, Heroin is huge right now in this area, and I'm sure the rest of the country as well. And those are things that people try to put a blind eye to. If it's not happening in their house, I'm not seeing it. Or if it's not happening on my block, I don't see it. But if it's in a book and it shows them that, hey, this can happen anywhere. This could happen to just the lady down the street because bad things happened and this this occurred. And all of a sudden now she's a part of that statistic. That's something that people will want to read and will want to, I guess, uh, digest it and try to help others. You know, that's my hope because I think that people have preconceived notions of, say, an addict or a homeless person or, you know, somebody that's been incarcerated. They have ideas in their head of what they think that person is. And my goal is to show that person as a human being so that that person goes, oh, maybe all heroin addicts are human beings. I want them to start thinking, oh, okay, instead of like putting this person into like a box of what I've been told to believe about them, I need to see them as human and what they've gone through and their suffering. And that's what my hope is in writing these books and writing these tough uh, topics is to have people really go, oh, okay, you know, that's, that's what I was missing. And I actually had a, a gentleman who reached out to me who read my book, We Don't Matter, and it deals with homelessness and that. And he said, you know, I honestly didn't think about homelessness that way or about homeless people that way until I read your book. And then I, I realized like they're just people. Right. And that was what I was trying to get to. And it was one of those like, yes, I did <laughs> moments for me because that's what I'm trying to get to is to get to humanity. To try, if you, if you reach one with one person with each one of your books, you're helping that one person open their eyes and, and open their aperture to see things beyond what their scope of, of thinking is. Most people, if they're driving in their car and there's a homeless person on the corner with their sign saying, uh, help me or I need food or whatever they have on their sign. They try to not look at them because if they don't look at them, they don't see them. And that way that person can't see them and make them homeless too. And I think it opens their eyes to see that, yes, they are, there's a human standing over there. And yes, that human probably just wants to talk to you, not not just for begging for food out there or begging for whatever. They might just want to talk. And that, that might be what they need to give them that, that, uh, that plus in life to move forward and to try to get back on their feet. And maybe you can be that light for them as you drive by. Instead of driving by, talk to them. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, what, what my goal is, is to have people see themselves in those people. So if they're reading a character and that character's talking about it, and I have in, in my book, We Don't Matter, one of the characters is, he's a veteran, and he came back and he couldn't assimilate, he couldn't find his place in the world. And so it was easier to join this homeless encampment, you know, rather than doing that. But he was a really outstanding person, and he had passion and drive and things like that. And so by telling his story, what I hope someone would do is read that book and then go, oh, you know, maybe those homeless people are veterans or they're people that have dreams and what can I do because they're just like me. Instead of saying these people did something to cause their reality, right. we all are, you know, one step away from that reality. So exactly. like, 
if we can just look at it that way, then it's beyond saying pity. I want people to feel empathy. Right. And uh, like you said, we're, we're one step. We're all one bad choice away from being right next to them out there. It, it, life is fragile that way. And you, when you live in the gray area a lot, if you make a mistake, you wind up in another area pretty quickly. Or if you just forget to do something one time, it could cause you to wind up in that same situation. Then how would you feel when that next when your friend drives by you because doesn't want to look at you? Exactly. And you're holding your sign and you really just want someone to connect. Right. Um, and we and we are. I mean, the fact is my daughter, you know, I was living kind of what I thought was my ideal life. I was married. I had two little girls. I lit, had my first house. We had just bought our first house in, in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. And so like I was really like living this like American dream, I thought. And one day everything changed for me. Like one day everything changed. And then financially we had to claim bankruptcy and we were in debt and we were doing everything to try to save our child, you know, and it was nothing that we had done. You know, it was simply how things fell to us. And I think for me, that did open my eyes a lot. I've always been a compassionate person, I believe, but like really having to see how quickly something can shift. Yeah. You know, made me realize that it can happen today. I can be talking you, to you tonight and tomorrow walk out and something happens. And then all of a sudden I'm back in that same boat or I lose my house or, you know, so I think it's, it's trying to drive the ability for us to see our commonality instead of our differences. And kind of with the, the onus of the Misfit Nation was when we started was to try to get veteran stories out because a lot of veterans just have it in their chest. They don't have the ability to let their voice be heard. So I wanted them to come on and tell their story. And then I realized there's a lot of veterans that are business owners. There's a lot of veterans that want to be authors. And there's people that are authors like yourself who can give them tidbits and give them advice and, and are looking out for mental health and mental stability and other things, other like addiction that's out there right now. And you can bring the help to them. So that's how we've evolved in just one year, just, just by noticing what the audience needed and what they wanted to hear and what people should have. I'll still bring a veteran on any day of the week and say, hey, tell your story, brother, sister, tell your story. But if there's someone out there that can help a veteran, they're coming on as well. So I'm trying to get all those stories combined to get on here with Misfit Nation. And with you now writing, you're able, even though you're not directing uh, targeting veterans, you are targeting veterans because veterans have all those same issues in your books. If they, if they pick that book up and read it, oh my God, that's me. I went through the same trial and tribulation. Maybe if I read this whole book, I'll see how to get out of it. Yeah. And, and that is something I try to bring to my books. And, you know, like I have had things in my life that have happened and, and had certain outcomes in those things. But, you know, the thing I try to bring in my books is, is to open people's minds to different outcomes, different possibilities. Like not everything happens a to Z the whole way every time. You know, sometimes choices we make, decisions we take are what change, you know, that course of that action. So sometimes we can't. I'm like with my daughter, we did everything and we did lose her. You know, but there are other times where maybe we're on a path and we're doing something that's detrimental to our health or to ourselves or to our family. And we do have the ability to stop and change that path if we're aware and we hear someone say that, you know, that you're not alone. You have the ability to change path at any time. Exactly. Once once you realize you're not alone and there are people out there that will help you, like in the beginning of the show, I said, phone a friend. A lot of people are afraid to pick up that phone and say, hey, I need help because they're embarrassed by it. So if they can't do it anonymously, they won't, they won't look for help. So if, if picking up a book is the best way for them to find help for themselves, I want them to pick up every book that's out there because they can feed their mind and, and see the ways that 
other people went through trials and tribulations or through their journey and find their way out of their own journey and into a better journey as they move forward. Yeah, you know, it's not weak to need help. And I think that's so much part of our culture that yes. it's perpetuated as weakness to need help. It's actually powerful to say you need help because think about how much courage it takes to get those words out. That is strength and power. And if people can realize like they're doing something amazing by reaching out for help and shed that whole idea of it being somehow a weakness, I think we would see the tide turn a lot in mental health in this country. I I can only I pray and hope for that to happen. That uh, the stigma that, that is attached to mental health will be taken away, and people will say, "I can go get help and not be laughed at, or not be shunned, or not be told I can't get a job because I went to this help." Oh, exactly. I mean, there are people that suffer every day because if they tell work that they need to get help. You know, I mean, I've seen it with even just insurance where people are like, well, they'll know that I went to get help because right. I'll be using my insurance. And so they don't get help. And, and, and that's sad that that is what we've created because ultimately we want you around. Get right. the help. If that job isn't passionate enough to you or you're that afraid, that's probably not the right job for you. Those are probably not your people. We're out here. <laughs> your people are out here. We do care and we want people to get help. I mean, that's something that's a huge driving factor for me. I've, I've had my own struggles because of things that I've had to face and just who I am. I'm a really like compassionate person. So I tend to like overthink and over, you know, empathize with everything. But, you know, like ultimately it's the people that were there for me, the people that said, hey, you know, you want to talk? Do you need something? I'm here, whatever it is that really helped me. And that's what I want to be for other people. And that's a great thing to do. Even if it's, Hey, let's just go get a cup of coffee. Let you just get something off your chest without you even knowing. That's what I want you to do. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go drink that coffee. Even if you don't like coffee, drink a Red Bull, drink a tea, whatever you want. <laughs> let's just chat and let, let the, let your the weight get off your chest and off your shoulders. And now we can live to fight another day. Exactly. So as a, you said, you had a writers that were, you read books as a, as a child that motivated you. And that's a, I mean, there's probably a lot of different writers that have motivated you over time of all their generational writers that you've written, that you've read, who's your favorites. It's a tough one because I think, you know, your favorites are a lot to do with what you're going through or what you're relating to at that time. So when I was a kid, I really liked kind of fantasy novels, you know, because it took me out of my life, you know, and then as a teen, I got more into horror novels because it challenged kind of like, even though things might be bad in my life, it was reading these horror novels where it was worse. <laughs> you know? So I liked that too. And, and then I got really into like, you know, philosophy and, and kind of spirituality, like Thich Nhat Hanh, those type of things, because I found like they offered other I guess, viewpoints than I had ever been raised with. Um, so there's never like a point where I can say I have a favorite author or favorites. I think it really just depends on where I'm at. Um, now I like to read a book that really just says, like takes my brain and just kind of explodes it. And that's, you know, I've been reading Chasing the Screen by uh, Johan Hari. And it basically deals with addiction and, and it's a nonfiction book. And I read a lot of nonfiction, uh, but you know, like that reading a book where he's kind of talking about these studies that show, you know, that addiction has more to do with lack of connection and isolation than it has to do with a chemical response, like those type of things. I want to be challenged. I want to learn. I want to, you know, question myself. I'm always okay to question myself. Like if I believe something, I want someone to prove me wrong. You like, I want to be shown that other point of view. So either I can stand on being, you know, that I knew what I was talking about, or I got a different point of view and I opened my mind to it. 
And it's all right to have a different point of view than others. You don't have to argue. It's just you have your opinion. I have mine. If we can discuss it and see why we have that opinion, maybe we can come up with a, a joint goal to move forward. Yeah, I think that like a lot of times we're so dead set in our ways <laughs> that we forget to like listen and maybe consider why someone comes to that point of view. You know, whether it is, you know, upbringing, that's always a possibility. It could be cultural. It could be, you know, experiences that they had. And to just immediately negate someone's point of view is really small-minded because yes. what we're doing is negating them as a person. Where if we have the conversations and we start talking about it, we m both might plant seeds in each other. And that's ultimately what we should be doing. Yeah, because you broaden the horizons of both, of both uh, speakers, to, so to speak. Uh, if I have, if I say the sky is blue and you say it's fuchsia, then we try to get to the, the reason why you think it's fuchsia and why I think it's blue. It could be one of us is colorblind or, or <laughs> we just, I just believe blue is a better color or something. And that's just how it happens. We don't have to just say, oh, yours is just dumb. I don't want to listen to it no more. Get out of here. And like you said, that negates that person as a person at that point. Yeah. You know, we've, we've gone through a really, I think oh, we've always had our struggles in, in this country, but I think lately we've had a lot of struggles where it's really easy to kind of attack other people and call them names. And, and what we're forgetting is that's still a person. That's still yes. a person that goes home and they, they think about things and they have children and they have grandchildren and they, and they care and they're driving in the cars next to us. Like we have to remember that's still another human being. And the goal is to find a connection point and work off of that. Exactly. And, and not just cancel them as we do everything now. If someone says something I don't like, you're canceled. That's it. You're done. See you later. And right. <laughs> and so you miss the, and a lot of times you miss the good with that. So yes, yeah, somebody might have done something that was, you know, shocking or wrong yeah. or whatever, but like then we're canceling everything that they've done. And I've seen that too. And like, that's a little frustrating for me as you know, there's the kind of the talk of, do we, you know, if the artist does something, do we cancel the art? And it's, if the art was good. So like talking about musicians or artists or writers, like if they say something stupid, do we just automatically throw everything? that they've ever done out and that would be a shame because we've all said something stupid first of all i'll say that i am i will admit i have said something stupid <laughs> like there are times i'm glad that like i grew up where there wasn't everything being recorded because i wouldn't be proud of who i was definitely at certain times I'm, I'm glad that i evolved and learned but i would hate if somebody took one thing that i said at some point and then threw out all the hard work or all the things where i was compassionate and giving right and especially, I'm, I always tell my daughter, I'm glad there was no internet when I was growing up or no Facebook because I wouldn't be here right now. So. Yes, I agree. <laughs> so what's your, uh, what's your uh, motivation now, your methods now of writing? Where, where and when do you write? Um, you know, I try to get up early. I have a day job. So I basically try to get up really early and produce and, and write. And we rescue dogs, as you heard them earlier. Awesome. Uh, one of the things my husband and I both rescue dogs and we have eight right now. So the fact that it's quiet right now is actually pretty amazing. But so, yeah, so I get up really early in the morning before they really need to go out or anything and I'll write then. So I'll make coffee and I'll put on some music, put on a light, and then I'll spend time by myself for a couple of hours before we start running animals out and feeding everybody. <laughs> and then the house becomes chaos. <laughs> the family farm. <laughs> it's, <Eight>. It is. <laughs> yeah, we, we've rescued four here and uh, one ever since we've had him he always wants has to eat at four in the morning he has to be up at four in the morning every day to eat and if not he thinks he's dying so he's a <laughs> big lab and he really enjoys his 4 a.m feed and as soon as he eats he goes back to bed so i'm not understanding why he needs it but 
that's just his life. <laughs> it, it makes him happy. <laughs> so if you can give advice to a, a aspiring writer, author, uh, what top three things could you tell them to do to get out of their own way and write? First, you know, like when you're writing that first draft, just write it. Don't, don't second guess yourself. Don't worry about having to go back and, and do a lot of research at this point. Like just get the words out, get whatever's in your soul, get it on paper. Because, and I talk to her sometimes, she's like, yeah, I start to try to edit and then I lose the flow. And that's exactly it. Like the first draft should come from your heart. It should just be poured out. You can go back as many times afterwards and, and edit and research and clean it up. Second is don't lose your voice. There's a lot of writing rules out there. They make me crazy because what they would do is actually take out any creativity if you followed all of them. So keep your voice. You know, like if you want to write things a certain way in a certain, you know, flow or beat, do it. Because there's plenty of people that want to read different things. They don't want to all read the mass market paperbacks. You know, they (laughs) want to read things that, that are written in a different style. Um, Third is just keep at it. You know, it's, you know, the thing that I did for years where I didn't write is I had a lot going on. I was, I was a single mom. I was raising my kids and, you know, I just made excuses to everything like, well, I need to do this. Let me, let me get the lunches packed. Let me do this. And, you know, I kind of forgot myself in that. And so even though I could have maybe even taken 15 minutes and just jotted something down, I just got myself convinced of my need to take care of everybody else. And I wasted 10 years, you know, where I didn't write at all. And I kick myself now, like my kids are grown, but like, I could have still done that. I still found time to go on social media or watch television programs. So I certainly could have written. And that's why I say is like, take that time because that's what's going to matter to you at the end of your life. It is whatever, how you used your voice, what you put down, that's what's going to mean something at the end of your life is that you expressed your soul. Awesome. Thank you, Julia, for sharing that. Uh how does someone get in contact with you? How do they find your books to buy? Sure. So I have a, a website. It's authorjulietrose.com. And that has links to everything. It has my social media links to buying my books. It has my email. And I've said this before, and I'm, I mean it. Anybody is welcome to write me. If you just need to write and talk, I will get back to you. It may not be today because <laughs> it depends <laughs> on what I'm doing. But like I do always respond. So if you just feel like you need to reach out and talk, I'm here. So that's the best place to start because it has everything about me and ways to contact me. Awesome. Thank you, Juliet. Again, thanks for uh, rescuing eight pups, uh, eight fur <laughs> babies. That's amazing. Uh, I don't want my wife to get to eight, so I'll hopefully I'll hold this from her and keep it. We'll yeah, stay at four now. stopped. We're like, <laughs> no, we have to start working our way back. Like as they go, we're not replacing. Like it, it's been chaos in our house. We run a shelter. It's no longer a home. <laughs> 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 you're just a guest there now it's good exactly <laughs> we're just here to serve <laughs> again thanks for taking some of your time to share all your story with us here on the misfit nation thank you so much you know how we do this thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on misfit fit nation be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible if you want to please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on we appreciate you if you know someone that brings that energy has a great story is an up-and-comer in any industry of music in the arts have them reach out to us on themisfitnation.com we will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world as always till next time 
Be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are... It's fit, it's, 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 it's fit Nation.